Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. Today, we are talking about The Woman King. We are. Yeah. Okay, so this is one of those movies that... It makes me think of Gladiator. It's It feels like a sword and sandals movie. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. So, not exactly my genre, but here we are. <laughs> I... I saw the previews for this and I wanted to see it, but I didn't know if I was super excited about seeing it. Yeah. Like it yeah. didn't get me like, oh yeah, that's going to be great. Right, right. But I was like, okay, that looks good. I want to see it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm just, I'm just not a sword and sandals kind of guy. And I know this isn't like medieval times sword and sandals like Gladiator, but it basically is, right? I mean, we're talking about like warriors fighting like a couple hundred years ago or 150 years ago or something, yeah, whatever this it is. is this is based on the kingdom of Dahomey, which was in Western Africa, West African yeah. kingdom. And it existed from approximately 1600 until 1904. Right. Yeah. So, th- and this, this takes place in 1822. Yeah. So that's 200 years ago, guys. Yep. And that is just, I mean, like, come on, I have a hard time with movies that take are based a hundred years ago, you know, 150 years ago. I don't like civil war movies. I don't like. Revolutionary war movies, generally speaking. I don't know what it is. I Maybe I just don't like war movies in general. That could be. Maybe that's what it is. But I thought, no, you like some of those, don't you? Well, I like a couple of movies like that. But sure. but most of the war movies that I like are like kind of anti-war movies. Like okay. Full Metal Jacket or Platoon or Apocalypse Now or The Deer Hunter. Those are movies that are like part of the counterculture against the Vietnam War, you know? Okay. So, like, I like movies that are set during those wars, but they have different messages than rah-rah, let's go kick the commie's ass kind of a thing, you know? Right. So, I don't know. I don't, anyway, again, not really my thing necessarily, but, you know, I'm all in. I like Viola Davis. She's a good yeah. actor. So, and John Boyega finally getting a role that isn't just him shouting at a white girl the whole time, you know? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Nice to see him. I didn't know he was in this, and we were probably about halfway through the movie when I finally looked up who it was, because I'm like, God, that guy looks familiar. You didn't recognize him? No, I didn't. And (laughs) I kept watching. I'm like, man, where do I know this guy from? I usually try and figure it out on my own, because that feels more satisfying, like when you can remember that on your own. But I just, I could not place him. So I finally had to look it up on IMDb, and I'm like, oh, dumb. Okay, yep, that's who it is. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, no, I I saw him, the first time I saw him was in a movie called Attack the Block, which is an alien invasion movie that actually is like, it's got like a, it's kind of a slim connection to the Shaun of the Dead movies or the, the Cornetto trilogy movies in that it has Nick Frost in it. Mm, and that okay. was my in for it. But he plays the main character in that movie. It's a great movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But I haven't. It's a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of fun. But uh, but that's the first time I'd ever seen him. And so when he got Star Wars, I was like, Shit, yeah, this is great. We're going to get Moses in here? Right on. But no, they really didn't give him a whole lot to do in that other than shouting again at, you know, Ray, the whole movie. All sure. three of the movies, really. But so it's nice to see him get, you know, something to actually do something with. Now, Gezo is a... Is a a historical character, yes? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So there we have it. Well, we talked about John Boyega. Why don't we why don't you tell us the rest of the cast and the crew? All right. This was directed by Gina Prince Bythewood. It was written by Dana Stevens and Maria Bello. Wait, the love and basketball lady did this? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I've never yeah, seen that movie. This is the woman that did Love and Basketball. Okay. Like twenty years ago. Okay. All right. Okay. This stars Viola Davis as Naniska, Thuso Mbedu as Nawi, Lashana Lynch as Izugi, Sheila Adam as Amenza, John Boyega as King Gezo, and Jordan Bolger as Malik. Okay. There's a lot of other people in here, but I... I think we'd be here for about an hour if I went through everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of got that epic cast feel, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like Gladiator or the one that I was thinking of was Spartacus in that you've got this, again, another Sword and Sandals movie with like a huge cast of like 
hundreds of people and kind of an epic, sprawling, adventure feel to it. That's the kind of the one that I kept going back to. Okay. So, but, but yeah, okay. All right. Shall we talk about the story? Yes. I'm just floored that the lady, the woman that directed Love and Basketball 20 <laughs> years ago did this. Like, I don't even know what she's done in between those two. I haven't heard that name in years. The only reason that I saw Love and Basketball is that Spike Lee directed, or not directed it, but he uh, produced it. Okay. He's the one that did the producing, and I'm, I'm a huge Spike Lee fan, so I was like, well, if he produced it, it must be good. And as I remember, it was all right. It was more of a romance basketball movie. Romantic basketball movie? I don't remember, but well, had Omar Epps in it. love and basketball, right? Right. The title. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Pretty <laughs> it obvious kind what of it a is, giveaway, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know. But it had Omar Epps in it, and yeah, it's been a long time since I saw that movie. It was back when I was, oh boy, I had just gotten out of college, and I was renting just about anything that I could get my hands on, and that one ended up being one of them, so. But anyway. Yeah, so here we are. Here we are at the Woman King, 22 years later, not knowing anything that, that Gina Prince-Blythewood has done in the entering, in the intervening years. I'm sure she's done other things, so I apologize for to her for not knowing that, but here we are. But this film opens with the Agoje, which is a group of Amazonian warriors for the Dahomey tribe. They are infiltrating a Mahi village to free Dahomey villagers that the Mahe have captured and they're going to sell, the, 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 the Mahe are going to sell them to European slave traders. This opening, I think, is so cool to introduce us to the Ogoji. Yes. It they're is, like cat-like panthers, like yeah. sneaking up and then they all just stand up. Oh man, I loved it. That yeah, was it was so really cool. cool. It was really cool the way that they the way that they shot it and the way that they framed the whole thing. Like you said, stalking their prey. Yeah. But they they free the prisoners and they take some prisoners themselves and they return home. And the they're the newly crowned King Gezo, who apparently is the youngest king. At the time, I guess, he was the youngest king for the for Dahomey ever. Tells the Agoje leader, Naniska, that she is his most trusted soldier. Meanwhile, a young woman named Nawi has refused to marry a man that she was promised to. He beats her up and she's like, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with it. She fights back. She pushes him. He falls down. He's like, I'm not marrying her. And he gives her back to her father. And her father is like, you're worthless. Nobody will marry you. We're going to take you to join the Agoje. Imagine that. You don't want to marry a man that's beating you and you just literally bet him. Weird. This this concept is so foreign to me. I mean, this is not how the times are now and the culture is now. It's hard to imagine this, that your parents would be mad at you for this man beating you and you're not happy with it. I, I just don't get it. But I understand that that's, that's how things worked. It's just hard to comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, you've, what you've got not only is, not only do you have 200 years of evolution afterwards, you also have a culture clash here too. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're Americans, whether that's you know, for for better or for worse, we're Americans, so we have a particular perspective mm-hmm. on things. Mm-hmm. Other, I'm going to call them tribes because that's what we all are. We're all tribes of, of whatever. And uh, other other tribes, other areas have their own traditions, their mm-hmm. own things, and they aren't always good. Hell, most of our shit's not always good. I was going to say, not that ours is all great, but... no. Most of our shit's not all good. So. Yeah. I. It just seemed hard to wrap my head around this, mm-hmm. that she's going to get turned in to, I don't know, just like warrior camp or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know. Yeah. What happens well, like, if she fails this? Does she just get banned from everything? Well, they said that she gets turned out. She tur- gets thrown out into the streets. Yeah, that's that was my so. thought was I didn't catch that part, but I was thinking if she didn't succeed here, she's just out on her own and out probably gonna own. die. Yep. Yeah, I think what I like about this is that it sets the tone right off the bat of how people end up as part of this this warrior unit. Mm-hmm. There are many paths to it. 
and this is just one of them. We're going to find out later that Izogi rebelled against her mother because her mother was basically selling her off for as like a, as like a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And her mother wasn't having any of that, so she sent her to join the Hagoje. I also like when she gets inside the... What's it called? Inside that. Do they call it a castle or a palace? What did they call it? They called it something. Yeah, I don't remember. I just think of it as like the barracks. Yeah. It's like where they train and So whenever when she work. got in there and we have Naniska giving a speech to everybody that they just captured, they don't they didn't force these women to join. Nope. They had a choice to leave. Yep. So I did like that too, that it was a choice to stay, but you once you chose to stay, then you had to complete these challenges and tasks they put in front of them before you became a warrior but they weren't forced into it they did have a choice right there was there was some modicum of choice there was not always choice but there was modicum of choice. now i say that also knowing that if they chose to leave they probably Mm -hmm. weren't i mean it's almost not a choice if you really think about it too because your other option is being out on the street so maybe it's really not that great of a thing, but you, I guess you have a choice to at least try. Maybe. The illusion of choice. Yeah. It's the that, illusion of choice. Okay, thank you. That is a great way to put mm-hmm. it. The illusion of choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while this is all going on, Gezo discusses with his council the threat of the Oyo tribe, which had partnered with the Mahi to steal Dahomey's people and sell them to European slave traders. Naniska asks the king to consider... Rather than selling their prisoners, because what they've been doing is when they take prisoners, Gezo is selling those prisoners to slavers. And she says, look, instead of doing that, can we find something else like palm oil or gold? And he says, look, I'll consider it, but you're going to need to prove to me that we're going to be able to sustain ourselves on gold or palm oil. So later the... General Amenza, Ogoje General Amenza, is addressing the new recruits. It includes Nawi. She says, look, you're going to fight and probably die or possibly die for their king, for their kingdom. You're not going to be allowed to have kids. You're not going to be allowed to fraternize with men. You're going to devote your entire life to this. And this is where that choice comes in. You can have this. You can have a chance. You can leave. Some of them leave, but the vast majority of them stay. Yeah. Now that, you know, now that we've talked about it a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I'm sitting here just the last few minutes even thinking, well, maybe that wasn't like awesome because <laughs> they really don't have a great option here. But oh, well, <laughs> it's the better of two poor options, I guess, <laughs> unless you really want to go to war. I Do mean... you want this really shitty option or this really shitty option over here? <laughs> Interesting parallel to today's United States military in that they offer a way out for poor people, people who grew up in areas that are, that are like urban areas that, that don't, they don't have a lot of money or rural areas where they don't have a lot of money. They offer them a way out, but they have to devote their whole life to the military. They have to follow a strict set of rules. That's their way out. That's their out. It's an interesting parallel, I thought, because there are a lot of, there's a lot of what you want to call it forced recruitment into the military, especially in the African-American community. You, there was just recently, I want to say it was back in December, there was a, a report that came out. I want to say it was the New York Times that brought it up that there were kids in some major urban areas that mostly African-American kids who are being forced into JROTC. Forced. And then when they tried to get out of it, the school administrator said, no, you can't leave JROTC. You have to follow these rules. You have to do this. You have to dress in this uniform while all their classmates didn't necessarily have to do that. What happens usually what follows JROTC is military enlistment in one way, shape, or form. More often than not. So it's interesting to me that some things change, some things, the more things change, the more they stay the same, I guess. You know? Sure. Sorry. I'll put my soapbox away. Where was I? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, okay. So they start training, and they are training with ropes to start off with. And Nawe is like, 
why are we training with rope? Shouldn't we be training with swords? How are we going to kill our enemy with rope? <laughs> so, we will see later in the movie. Right, we will see that <laughs> later in the movie. But the a funny little bit here when Naniska gives her her sword. He's like, all right. She's like, here, take the sword. She takes the sword and she can't hold it up until she drops the sword a bit. And it lands on the sand. Well, she's still got her hand on it. but And she's like, okay, so attack the the dummy she's got like some dummies like these wicker dummies that are set up she's like attack the the te- the, the the training dummies uh-huh. take his head off and now we can't do it so naniska takes the sword back and thwap takes the head right off of it and just kind of gives her a look like mm-hmm. so <laughs> stick to your rope kid <laughs> So they continue with their training. There's running, there's firing guns, there's hand-to-hand combat. Eventually, Naoi is, you know, kind of getting better at this. And she sets a prank where she sets off some explosives on one of the sparring dummies when the sword hits it and it it blows up. And she gets chastised by Naniska. But that is going to come back later. She uses gunpowder to use that to make that happen. That's going to come back later in a Mm -hmm. big fight at the end. Mm Mm-hmm. Izogi tells Naoi that Naniska is legendary general, and it's because she was captured by the Oyo when she was younger and left for dead. But she fought her way out of prison and rose through the ranks of the Ogoje to become a general. So she has kind of single-handedly overcome this huge barrier in her life. So... Amenza later visits Naniska and uses these fortune-telling nuts, which Naniska makes fun of. She's like, you and your nuts. And she uses that to tell Naniska that she's going to have somebody that's coming from her past to to to, 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 to come back at her, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, Naniska is looking outside as, as, as Amenza is, is uh, reading her, her nuts. <laughs> weird, weird sentence. And... She sees Naoi practicing her sword skills on the wooden dummies after everybody's gone to bed. She's out there still working at it. So I thought that was cool. That is cool. I, I love this whole sequence because Naniska's really not into this whole fortune telling nuts thing. <laughs> I can empathize. <laughs> but she just kind of placates Amenza a little bit and is like, <laughs> okay, friends. fine. Yeah. They've yeah. been, they've fought together for a long time as we're, you know, we'll find that out. We know that as we, you know, these as we guys are f- so much more than, f- these guys are family. I mean, well, yeah. you could tell yeah. this is a close knit group. Right. They care about each other a lot. Yeah, I, 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 I love the whole dynamics of the relationships here and stuff. Yeah, so. absolutely. So the Oyo arrive the next day and they confront Gezo. They say that his, tribute isn't good enough and the leader of the oyo oba ate he steps forward and he says or this at this point naniska recognizes him and thinks to herself she tells she tells amenza your fortune came true i know this guy mm-hmm. this is the guy that brutally raped her while she was a prisoner of war when she was left for dead mm-hmm. like over and over and over again like every day he did this to her mm-hmm. the oyo want 40 Agoje warriors as a penance for the pittance of an offering that Gezo had given to them. And Gezo consults with Naniska for a moment. He kind of turns his back and he talks to them for a moment. He comes back to him. He says, I'll give you 20. I'll give you 20 warriors. And I want you to leave your people here to enjoy the feast that we've prepared. And Ade says, okay, fine. That's fine. We'll do that. And he leaves. You get a little scene here, though, where Naniska is going through and she's picking out yeah. the women. And she picks Nawi. Right. And I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> I can't believe she's doing this to her. <laughs> give that kid to these idiots. Yeah. So, but this is what it's immediately, immediately that is all dispelled. Because the next day... They go to this. They go to the market. We go. We we open on the market the next day, and there's these Portuguese slave traders arriving. That's where we meet Santo Ferreira and his friend Malik that you talked about. They witness the twenty Goje warriors being delivered to Obaade, but Naniska is there, and she instead of delivering 
the warriors, she delivers a basket full of the severed heads of the men that Ade had left in Dahomey. That, this was a badass moment. This is one of those moments where you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) At first, I was confused because I was like, wait, whose heads are those? And then it... I, it just shows it shows the trust that Gezo has in Naniska and the Agoje, first of all. But it also is this statement of like intent that they're done putting up with yeah. the Oyo bullshit. Right. To deliver the severed heads of your enemy's men. To your enemy directly, right, right to his face. These are their your men. Encampment here. Here you go. That is ballsy, and it ups the ante. Yep. It ups the ante. You have, you have fired the first shot, or the well, not the first shot, but you have finally fired a shot in response to all the terrorizing and bullshit that they've been doing to the Dahomey. So I, I loved this scene. I thought it was great. We had a big fight after this. Mm-hmm. Naniska is fighting Ade one-on-one, and we've got his men are coming, but Naoi sees an opportunity to kind of drop like a, what are those, what is that called? The port, te- port trellis, I think is what it's called. Okay. That that comes down where a drawbridge would go. There's yeah. like a, a, like like a, a gate, gate. Yeah. that drops down. Portcullis, that's what it is. It comes down and keeps the men from being able to get to him right away, but they're going to start trying to lift it up. Meanwhile, these two are fighting, and Naoi is freeing the captives that were going to be sold. Yep. She's over here freeing people left and right, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. They get chased through the market, through the city, and they jump off this thing. It's a great scene where they jump off this castle wall. Yeah. Into the ocean. Yeah. They go cliff diving. They go cliff diving, basically. And then they swim to their boats that are sitting out there waiting for them, and they take off for home. So, after that, Malik and Ferreira meet with Ade and plan a team-up. They're going to invade Dahomey and capture more villagers to sell to the slavers. Malik is uncomfortable with this because he is half Dahomey. So he's uncomfortable with this right off the bat. And you can kind of tell that. Mm -hmm. So he kind of breaks away from this and he kind of goes to take a bath in a pond. And he meets Naoi there. She calls him a slaver. He tells her, no, my mother was Dahomey. He gives her a golden cross necklace and then leaves to join Ferreira and Ade again. So back in Dahomey, it's graduation day. And this is when... The Agoje trainees are going to run an obstacle course, which is running through thorn bushes and climbing a wall, which looks like one of those walls that you see in like basic training in movies, right? In movies mm-hmm. and military basic training. And then sparring with guys in these big masks and then decapitating a training dummy. And Naoi ends up being the victor, even though she goes back to help someone who gets stuck in the thorns. Yeah. She still wins. Yep. And Gezo acknowledges her skill. And then later, Naniska is tending her wounds from the tournament. And she tells her, and she feels something in her in the girl's arm. She feels something in Naoi's arm. So she leaves because she gets all worried about it. And she, and, and she gets followed by Amenza. And Amenza says, like, what's wrong? And she says, what did you do with the child that I gave you? Yeah. So... Nawi confesses here too that she was adopted. Right. That the people that turned her in right. were not her real parents. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. So between that and the, th- the spot on her arm. Right. That's what kind of sends Naniska off because she apparently became pregnant being raped all those times. And she had Amenza get rid of the child, like give the child away for adoption or to be, you know, to a family that needed a child. Or right. Something. Cause if, if the Agoje had found out that she had given birth, she would have been kicked out. That's right. It's pretty a hard, fast rule they have there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so this is kind of, I think, part of Noniska's, like, legend. Do you know what I mean? Like, only certain few know it, but this is part of, like, what makes her this great warrior, you know, like, this great general. This fact that she's got these, nobody's perfect, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. got these things that, like, even she doesn't follow all the rules, you know? She could... She could just as easily have fessed up and left, but she didn't. Mm-hmm. So. A good leader sometimes breaks the rules. That's what I'm kind of trying to get at here. Okay. We'll see that a little <laughs> bit with Nawi again later on. So. Yep. Ferreira goes to Gezo and says, look, if you're going to not participate in the slave trade anymore, then your kingdom's going to be unprotected. You're not going to have any money. You're not going to make enough money with palm oil and gold to be able to protect your, your kingdom. Mm-hmm. And Gezo says, well, you're going to be useless to me. And so you guys are going to be unprotected as well. Kind of gives him a, it's kind of a threat, you know, yeah. it's kind of, a, kind of a subtle little threat, but he's threatening him. He's saying, look, you're not of any use to us. So you're not going to be protected either. Well, this is all going on. Izogi sees Nawi talking to Malik through the gate. And she kind of gets the feeling that maybe she's sweet on him or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nawi later on sneaks off to meet Malik. And then later, back at the uh, barracks, she encounters Naniska when she goes to take a bath. And Naniska, like, basically chews her out and says, Hey, what are you doing sneaking off to meet with this kid? They argue. And then Naniska tells Nawi about a child that she had and that she gave this child up and how she had cut the back of this child's left arm and had pushed a shark tooth into it. And then she cuts the back of Nawi's arm and produces a shark tooth out of the cut. And this kind of freaks Nawi out and she leaves. She's kind of freaked out by that whole situation. That's her daughter. Nawi is Naniska's daughter. The next morning, no rest, I guess, for the weary. The next morning, the Agoje attack the Oyo camp, and a big old bloody battle ensues. Some of the Agoje are captured, which includes Naui and Izogi. Uh, Naui helps one of the women get free and sends her back to Dahomey to get help. There, the woman tells Naniska about the Oyo's plan and to retaliate against the Dahomey. Gezo promotes Naniska and says... Because of this promotion, you're not going to be acting on this intelligence that we just got. So this whole attack on the camp, is this where we get the use of explosions? Naniska and Amensa go behind Gezo's back, though, and they leave to rescue the uh, the captives, including Naui and, and Izogi. So but, this is her directly going against the king's wishes. And we know at this point she's probably not going to get the, what is it called, a promotion? Or, I, I mean, don't know. That's what we would call it at this <laughs> yeah. point. We would call it a promotion, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yep. But that's not how it turns out. We'll get right. to that. Yep. So when the European slavers come to claim the captives, which include, you know, the, the Izogi and Nawi are going to be sold off to these slavers. And it, it kind of, they, Izogi and Nawi, lead a fight against them. Now, okay, I want to point out real yeah. quick here that, so in the battle, Izogi's arm gets broken. So... The one where they got captured? Yeah. So yeah. She, so she's sitting in this little slave, like, jail, I guess. And Nawi pushes her bones back together or something. Yeah. I couldn't even watch the screen. I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. She helps her set her arm. And then she proceeds to fight this battle. Yeah. I mean, my God, these women are tough. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to do that. No, I would have passed out uh, long before them doing anything what they were doing. <laughs> but 
I am I would, I, definitely been, not as tough as I probably, you guys are. I probably wouldn't have passed out from, like, resetting the bone. I probably would have been like, <laughs> no, you know what? It's okay. You guys go fight without me, okay? I'll just be over here. I'll be fine. I'll be all right. So, <laughs> so yes. Tough, badass women here. During their attempted rebellion against the slavers, Izogi is fatally shot and she dies in Naoi's arms. This was tough. Yeah. I really liked Izogi's character. I did too. She was a very interesting and maternal, or not maternal, like big sisterly character. Yeah. For our intro character, which is Naoi. But she was tough, but Mm -hmm. caring. And she offered a little bit of comedic relief in a very serious film it wasn't like she was comedy 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 it was just a few things just to kind of lighten the seriousness of this movie so when she died i was just really upset yeah (laughs) yeah it was tough it was a tough one now he's in prison because of her her slave insurrection and malik visits her in the prison and he helps her escape and evade the Europeans just as Naniska and the other Ogoji attack. They set fire to the camp. They free the captives who aid in the fight, overpowering Ferreira, and he, they drown him. Like, these are the other people that were going to be sold as slaves. Yeah. And they drown him, and they, they everybody joins in the fight. Naoi and Naniska end up fighting Obaade, and Naniska ends up impaling him, killing her tormentor. The Agoje return, return home, and now he joins them, leaving Malik to go on about his life. Mm-hmm. The Agoje bring their captives home, and Naniska gets confronted by Gezo. And he says, look, I know you went behind my back, but I am thankful for your efforts against the Agoyo, or excuse me, against the Oyo. But I am thankful for your efforts against the Oyo. And he officially promotes her to the Woman King, and they have a big party. But during the party, Naoi leaves to pay tribute to Izogi, and she is joined by Naniska. And Naniska addresses Naoi as daughter, and then the two join the others, and they dance in celebration. And that's the end of the movie. It is, it is. So, there was, was it one of the king's wives or something like that, that was really pushing hard to be the woman king. Yeah. She was all dressed up, all in line to get this promotion. Yep. And then up walks Naniska. <laughs> well, she didn't have any qualifications other than she, she was didn't. married to the king. She didn't. And but Naniska's like, got the qualifications. Uh, but, you know, sometimes in those situations, they don't necessarily choose the one with qualifications. They choose, you know, somebody that's, you know, telling them the things they want to hear. Or, okay. You know, all that stuff. Because Fair. Naniska is not afraid to stand up to him and say she disagrees with something he's doing. Yep. Yeah. So it's cool that he respects that and is still willing to promote her up to the woman king. Yeah. Even though she just doesn't do whatever she's told to. You know? Now, we talked about how the rope would come back into play, but we never actually addressed it in the story portion of this. But there is a sword on the end of a rope, like what Naru used in Prey. Do you remember in Prey last year? Yep. Where she was swinging that 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 knife around mm-hmm. on the on the end of a rope. I was like, oh my god, it's Prey. It's the are there predators in this? <laughs> <laughs> I was confused for a minute, but no, it was pretty cool. Okay, so I, I want to address a couple of things. First thing I want to address is that this is a PG thirteen movie, and it shows. Okay. It is. Almost completely bloodless. Yeah. There are people getting stabbed and beheaded and slashed and sweat. Like, Gladiator, when you saw this, there was blood. People were dying and there was blood everywhere. This movie, people are dying there is not blood everywhere. Like, these, there are people that are viciously hacking people to bits. And there's no blood. Kind of took me out of the movie a little bit. Not enough that I wasn't interested in it, but I was kind of taken aback by how completely bloodless this was. Did they do that, though, so they could get this story in front of more people? Probably, but I think that you you lose some authenticity there, I think. 
See, that didn't bother me. I didn't even notice it, I guess. Don't, I'm not trying to be like a vampire here. I need my blood. But I'm just saying, like, <laughs> if people are getting... St- it, it reminded me of an Avengers movie. You know, it reminded me of an Avengers movie. Number one, because the Dora Milaje are modeled after the Agoje, by the way. Just so you know. But number two... But there are people get like get like sliced and stabbed and crap in Avengers movie, no blood. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean it just it seems pasteurized. You know what I mean? Pasteurized for better consumption. Sure. So I the only thing I could think of is they wanted to get the story out in front of more people. Yeah, well, I'm sure that's why. But it just it, like I said, it took me out of it a little bit. The other thing I wanted to to talk about was just something that made me laugh. Early on, uh, Naniska asks Naoi, why are you here? And Naoi says, I have nowhere else to go. And all I could think of was an officer and a gentleman. And Naoi is Richard Gere. Because at one point in Officer and a Gentleman, the drill sergeant asks Richard Gere, what the hell are you doing here anyway? And he says, I have nowhere else to go. So I just thought that was funny. Little callback to the officer and a gentleman. I don't know if it was intentional, but I would was... guess probably not. But <laughs> who knows? Who I, knows? Mean, I mean, maybe the director is a huge, you know, officer and a gentleman fan. No, who knows? No, they could be. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, yep. Also, I liked the sound that it made when Nawi was whipping her sort around on the end of the on the end of the rope. Yeah. It made this cool, like, whistling, hollow whistling sound. Hollow whistling, does that make sense? Yeah. Sound. <laughs> sort of, yeah. You know? I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. 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 How about you? Do you have any uh, notes, any tidbits of trivia that you wanted to talk about? A couple notes about the movie that we didn't talk about. I yeah. thought it was a cool idea and not something you would think about, but how they would oil up their bodies before oh, they would yeah. go into battle. Yep. So if people tried to grab them, they would lose their grip. Yeah. Yeah, there was a great scene where I think it's Zogi who is oiling herself up and trying to have one of the recruits like grab her, but they can't grab her. Yeah. So, yeah. And what I found interesting is the opening scene when we see them stand up in the grass I thought, like, wow, they are very shiny. I I was like, (laughs) what is with the lighting? That just seems off. And then when that came in, I'm like, oh, that's why. They're all oiled up. They can't be grabbed. Yeah, I like that they put that out visually first. Yeah. And then they explain what was going on. Sure, yeah, they address it so that it makes sense, you know. Yeah. But, But yeah, it was, again, that opening sequence, like you said, really cool visual, the way that they shot it, the way that it was set, just the, the, this group of warrior women rising up from the grass like like you said like predators it was like oh shit oh yeah. boy it's on <laughs> yeah. one of izugi's funny comments was when nawi was i don't know if she was arguing with her or something it was like when she first gets there and the first rule of training is you always obey Izuki. <laughs> Always listen to Izuki. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and she said that they came back later. Oh, and yeah. Then, yeah. Okay. What's the first rule of training? <laughs> right. I like that too. It's um, just one of those things that makes her, that endears her as a character. Yeah. So that when she does die, it really impacts you. you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The film's title comes from the fact that the people of Dahomey, they believed in the legend of two kings, a man and a woman who are exact equals. Oh. So this is why she is considered the woman king and not a queen. Is Naniska a historical character? She is not. So she is a fictionalized version of something? She is a fictionalized version. So this story, from what I'm understanding, is loosely based on King Gezo. It's not like a story about... A sequence of events that actually happened, Mm, but more research of this tribe and then telling a story about what has come out of that research and things that happened or things that they were involved in or their traditions and stuff like that. So So it's not directly of people other than the king. In case, okay. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, so kind of an alt history, like... Like reimagining of 
of something or what? Like, I guess I look at it as loosely based on this tribe of people. I guess that's kind of how I look at it is it's not really a story about an event or a certain person, but just a story about these group of people that existed way back when. So they, they really, they wanted to tell this empowering story of women who these strong women who you know who fought battles? Yep, in this tribe, okay. this this female, what do you call it? Army type? What is what are they? Kind of like an it's army, army female unit, army. Maybe yeah. I don't know. That that did exist. They actually had this. They sure. were considered strong and deadly, and you know, just a strong tribe of women. Or sure. I keep saying tribe, but you know, you know, I don't know how else to refer. It. It's a group of people. Army. Yeah. So that was I there. See, I didn't see any other like male army component in this movie. But there not from not from Dahomey, did you? Yeah, th- I thought there? there was. I thought wasn't that the men that was kind of saying no, they shouldn't do that or something, or were they like counselors? I thought it was no, those another... were counselors. Okay. Yeah, those were counselors. I didn't see a male component okay. to their military arm. Now I don't know if that. Is true or not? I'm I'm not sure. I didn't do research on this. Look, I'll, the look. Dahomey. I didn't do research on the Dahomey at all. Okay. Other than a little bit of research on what actually happened, because there's some, and I think maybe we should talk about it a little bit. Okay. Here. There's some backlash happening because there's some people who feel like. This story is not telling the true story about this Dahomey people and that how they were involved with the slave trade. Like they were actually kidnapping people from other tribes and selling them into the European slave trade. But they showed that. They showed that they took prisoners during battles and they sold them. They did. So, but the complaints I think are that they're downplaying it and not telling the true story but there was a lot of research done for this movie okay and they used in a, a consultant leonard watched watch i don't even know how to say oh no, you're gonna murder this guy's name watch maybe okay i'm gonna try that I, I i'm sorry okay but he is directly related to a member of the agoji and so wait how if they weren't allowed to have, or is that not 100% true? If they weren't allowed to have kids, how could you be related to a member of the Ugoje? Bum, bum, bum. Maybe that part was fictionalized. Look, Hollywood, Hollywood fictionalizes everything. There's not any movie that comes out of Hollywood that is 100% historically accurate, first of all. So, whatever. Anyway, tell me about this guy. Okay, so I have a direct quote from him, and yeah. I'm just going to read this quote here. Sure. It's a misconception that the Dahomey was nothing other than a state involved in the slave trade. It's a narrative built by Europeans to present the state as barbaric. Mm. But at the same time, primary sources detail how respectful and sometimes scared they were about Dahomey. For instance, if you read the correspondence between King Gili and Bismarck, it was highly respectful. But maybe because it was such highly respected kingdom, they were not well liked by Europeans presenting themselves as the saviors of Africa. Mm. But tens of thousands of freed slaves from Brazil returned in the mid-19th century. They had to believe in that place for them to come back. So a lot of people that were freed came back. So if they didn't really like that place, why would they come back is kind of what he's saying. And he also said that the Dahomey accounted for roughly 3.5% of the total trade. So it was a very small portion of all the different groups that were actually involved in the trade. Hmm. So I just felt like I should bring that up because I was seeing a lot of that, like back and forth between how accurate is this representation of the Goje versus how isn't it. And I thought maybe it was just important to bring it up and just address it a little bit. It's very important. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this. Were they ever colonized? Yes. So it was made a French protectorate in 1894. Okay. And then in 1904, it was made into a French colony known as French Dahomey. 
Okay. So just in general, then these these were people that were conquered, mm-hmm. and anything that we know about them would be washed through a French lens after nineteen after eighteen ninety four. You said they were protectorate yep. in eighteen ninety four. Yeah. So they had there was what a war with them. Yeah, um, I believe because so. I think protectorate has something to do with annexation or something like that. No. A protectorate is more like, so like, you know, when we, when we were, okay, so when the U.S. was in Afghanistan, or not Afghanistan, when the U.S. was in Iraq, they, they set up like themselves as like the police there. They're protecting against like insurrection there. So there must've been a war there. And then the French set up this protectorate in 1894 and then they fully colonized it by 1904. So anything after 1894 is purely from a French perspective. Right. Right. Interesting. Because, well, we all know history is written by the victors of war. Right. Yeah. And usually the colonizers are the ones writing the books. Mm-hmm. So if they're saying, so if people are saying, well, no, 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 this isn't accurate. We're basing that potentially on misinformation misinformation mm-hmm. yeah so again hollywood hollywood stretches believability anyway you know yeah so i don't know i i mean personally i would believe that that the french whitewashed whatever was going on in dahomey so i mean i i get it right all right fair all right, and the last thing I have is I have one alternate casting. Okay. For Izogi. Okay. Lupita Nyong'o. Oh yeah, yeah. Didn't she drop out? She ended up dropping out. She was out. doing. She was doing some TV show or something, so she had to drop out or something. Now I think she could do the role just fine. She could do it in her sleep. She's fantastic. <laughs> Lupita Nyong'o could do anything. But. I really like this Lashana Lynch. I thought she was fantastic in it. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad that she was able to step up and take over the role because I thought she nailed it. Yeah. Now, I mean, have we seen Lashana Lynch before? She sounds familiar. I feel like I know the name. She was in No Time to Die. Well, I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, that's where I know her. She's Maria Rambeau from Captain Marvel. Oh. She's... she's in Doctor Strange, in the Multiverse of Madness, she is the Captain Marvel of that universe, that alternate universe that they go to with the Illuminati. You know what? Yes, That's her. she is. Yeah. Yes, she is. She now is. that now that we say that, <laughs> I absolutely can place her there. So I know that. Okay. Yeah, I know her. She definitely is a different character than Captain Marvel in this. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. Okay. Well, and we know Viola Davis too, right? Yes, she's How do we another know Viola Davis? fantastic actress. She's she's great in everything. What do, what do we know Viola Davis from? How many things do you want me to list off? Just list a couple of things that maybe our listeners might have seen. Well, she's in the Suicide Squad universe area because she plays Amanda Waller. Right. Who's that character that you just love to fucking hate? Yeah. Amanda Waller's a pain in the ass, but she's great. She was in a TV series called How to Get Away with Murder. Oh, I never watched that. I watched part of the first season, and I don't know why. I think I ended up can- canceling the, my TV subscription or something because mm. I'd never finished watching it, but I remember enjoying that. It was pretty good. She's was in Fences. Yeah, with Denzel Washington. Yeah. That was, that man, that is a great, first of all, I love the play. But it is a really good version of the play. She was in The Help. She was fantastic. Yes, in the she was help. in The Help. Yep. Yeah. It's so many things. She's in so many things. But it all comes back to the superhero movies. Because <laughs> she was in Suicide Squad. And Lashana Lynch was in Captain Marvel and Doctor Strange and yada, yada, yada. So there we go. <laughs> so anyway. So do you have any other notes? Anything else we should talk about? I think I've covered everything. All right. Fair enough. Let's do our thing. Keep Rent or Erase, Jennifer, and why? I'm going to keep this movie. I really liked it. I thought it was really good. I was surprised it was better than I was anticipating it to be. I wasn't really sure if I was going to enjoy this a whole lot, but I enjoyed it a lot. 
It had good characters. The story was tough in parts because it is a heavy topic that they're talking about with the slave trade. Sure. But I thought they told the story in a good way. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I I enjoyed it. Now, I don't know if this, this is something I'm going to watch on a regular basis because it is a little bit heavier. And so mm-hmm. it's a little bit more emotional feel to it. Yeah. But I would definitely watch this again. And I think it's worth keeping. Okay. How about you? All right. Okay. I'm on the fence with this one. Number one, I'm not into historical like war movies that are rah-rah, pro-whatever. And... <laughs> And this is one of those type of movies. I see this as like a kind of on a par with Gladiator or Spartacus or one of those other, you know, sword and sandals movies. It's tough for me because for me personally, this isn't my type of movie. This this sword and, and, and sandals genre isn't my thing. I think Gladiator, even though it's an Academy Award winning movie... And very well filmed, very well put together. Didn't I recommend like rent on that one? You might have, and that's a keeper for me. Yeah, I, I like I like the this type of movie. There are a lot of things in this movie that I've really enjoyed, but I think what it comes down to for me is that there's an authenticity that's lacking when you when you remove the blood from it. And again, I'm not trying to be a vampire. It's just if you're gonna do it, do it. Go balls to the wall and do it. Give us a realistic depiction of what this was like, what these battles were really like. And it 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 doesn't, it doesn't. You know what I mean? Like we get these great moving shots and these this great like acting from all these actors, but it's bloodless. Is it worth a watch? Yes. Is it worth a keep? I don't know that I'd ever go back and watch this. Just like I'll never go back and watch Gladiator. Just like I'll never watch Spartacus even for one time. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not my kind of movie. It's not my kind of movie. If you, you like these movies, though, this would be a keep for you. I was going to say, it's okay if you don't like yeah. it or if it's not your cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. No, I just feel like this is a movie that has a little bit of social import to it as well. So I think that there's some some worth to it. At least one watch. So I would say Rent... And if this is your type of movie, this is probably going to be a keep for you. But mm-hmm. for me personally, it's a rent. All right. Fair yeah. enough. All right. So where are we going next? Oh, this one's going to be fun. Oh, shit. We're going to watch Weird, the El Yankovic story. Do you mean the completely true and biographically accurate Weird Al Yankovic movie? Down to the T, accurate. Everything that happens in this movie is 100% correct and true, right? I mean, Weird Al said so. That's right. If Weird Al said, what a switch from this moving historical epic to a Weird Al Yankovic biopic. We do it all here, guys. We do it all here on the couch. Next week, though, we will have Weird Al Yankovic or Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al Yankovic in Weird on the Couch. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.